the theme for the evening talk is the way of creativity. Um, it's not uh, unusual in our uh, culture to uh, express the language and the communication of uh, with regard to the creation or speak of uh, the creation and it has been said to us for long enough really that with the creation there comes the creator and we as uh, human beings as expressions and demonstrations of sentient life are children of the creator we are expressions we are an outflow, an outcome. And for centuries and upon centuries, human beings have had a, a deep and heartfelt wish, in a way, to have access to, to have touch and contact with something greater than the self. And it has generated among various peoples, societies and cultures a certain kind of uh, yearning and uh, pursuit of something which, as it were, puts ourself into its uh, place and the feeling and the sense of having arrived of reaching that which we wish to reach to. And in that kind of uh, relationship, the creature, the creation, becomes the manifestation, the expression of the creator. And it's a view which is widespread, which pervades many uh, societies and uh, cultures. And sometimes in that form of uh, relationship, we are told that the Creator, in a religious way, uh, loves us, supports us, cares for us. And then perhaps, in the course of our life and in the various kind of reflections that take place with ourselves, we can't reconcile this huge gap and distance and be in a climate in which we are told we are loved by the Creator and yet the same Creator of all of this allows, permits and sustains such uh, barbaric human activity, such obscenities on, on this earth. And so sometimes the, the gap between what we are told, the Creator and the creation, and what we actually witness and experience and know is too big. And thus it brings to us concern, perhaps, maybe this whole idea of a creator who loves us is human fiction. That we didn't make, God didn't make us in his, in his image. But maybe we made a God out of our image. And maybe we 
took ourselves and recognized and acknowledged the limitations of ourselves and we said, well, I have some love as a human being, I have some energy, I have some expansion, I have some power, I have some ability to create. And we took hold of our human attributes and then we went from the finite experience of those attributes and we made them infinite. God is all-loving, God is all-powerful, all-creative, all-knowing, all-energizing, or whatever. So we took ourselves and we made a, a large uh, out of it. But as I say, sometimes that gap between what we say is the creator and the creation and the difficulties and the paradoxes are too much to live with. So we drop our God. We let go of our God. And it's not surprising that we are in what was a convent for 70 years. The church was flourishing in this place. When the family handed over the original 16th century building here and gave it as a gift to the church in the 1920s and the nuns came and lived here and the priests came and they came from the the missions overseas and there were so many that they built buildings in the 1950s to accommodate them in the 1960s it was flourishing and flourishing here they didn't have enough rooms for for all the people that wanted to come and be here and within a generation of 25 years it was down to five nuns not one of them under 60 sobering lesson for all of us so there's a view a belief, a support, founded on a principle of a creator, a creation, and Jesus, perhaps, wedged in between there somewhere. And then people stop believing, they stop accepting, they, they change, they don't go along with what's said. And so the, the inner structure, the inner creation of it, begins to fall apart. But what does it fall back on? When we give up our religion, if we've ever had one, when we give up that kind of view of creation, shall we say, the making of that creation, what do we fall back on? And for the most part, it's self. For the most part, it's I, me, secularism, consumerism. And one is trying to explore, maybe there's the potential with us and the possibility with us to see afresh, see differently from, from all of that. One of the extraordinary things is, and never quite understandable, we were talking today in one of the uh, inquiry periods how some things are kind of rather 
hard to understand or incomprehensible. And one of the things which I have in mind is that beliefs themselves, what, what do we believe? What, what, when we think of our beliefs, where, what arises for us from within? And one of the things which is a little bit of a mystery with all of that is that there can be beliefs. Let's say there's the belief that there's a creator uh, up there and we are his creation and there's a God and that God is loving us and sending down positive vibes or whatever it might be. And that view is taken up. But for some, perhaps that view may be their lifelong form of consolation, as we referred to earlier on today, or whatever. Yet, and what one has to take notice of, is that sometimes the outcome of a belief which may be a complete fiction, a total creation of the mind, there's just no truth in the view that there is a creator who loves us. And yet, the outcome of a mistaken belief is tremendous love, tremendous kindness, warmth, generosity of spirit, tremendous dedication in selfless and uh, remarkable ways which take our breath away. Yet, it's founded on something which is false. How does one explain that? And then there are others in this world who can be technically right. Creator and creation is a, is a, is a, is a, a myth of the mind. There is nothing out there looking after us. This is it. Let's, we have to find our wisdom in this world, whatever. Maybe all technically Right? One just lives one's life, or one, the only thing in life worth doing is producing and consuming, or whatever the view might be. And the outcome of, of the scientific analysis, or the precision, or their uh, clear views about the way things are, whatever it might be, might be something which is quite distasteful, unpleasant may have a very precise view of the way things work in this world. But the outcome of it. So it's an extraordinary thing is where there are beliefs and there are disbeliefs and maybe the beliefs and the disbeliefs and all the various authorities, traditions, books, uh, famous figures or whatever, Maybe all of that's rather unimportant. And that if a belief, may be correct or not, is actually helping to manifest in life some genuine deep kindness of existence, genuine compassion, true wisdom of life, then maybe the belief in some way or other is supporting something which is beautiful and creative and expressive. But the risk is, where there is a belief which is founded on 
interpretation, speculation, projection, there's got to be a risk. A risk. And over the years, various religious people, various religions, sitting in halls like this, meditation halls, meditating and being aware, sometimes have entered into a real faith crisis. Dramatic. And had a life which has been built up on a belief, secular or religious or spiritual or a view that one had taken up oneself and one was thoroughly convinced about and terribly self-assured about. And never imagining for a moment that that particular belief could ever collapse. And in the quietness of the sitting, in the silence of the day, whatever it was that was supporting it about anything, can suddenly crash. And one is left with a dissolution of a belief which one had no preparation for, no idea of the vulnerability and the fragile ground that all beliefs are in, because they're in the mind. Buddha said, enough tears have been shed in this world to fill the great oceans. Pretty potent one-liner. Enough tears have been shed in this world to fill the great oceans. Through the movement Just mentioning this, I just <laughs> I'd mentioned Stephen a little bit earlier on. His, his new book out is called Buddhism Without Beliefs. I haven't read it, but it's a damn good title. And <laughs> so, sometimes in all of that, the movement, the formation, and all that's been created within, it tends to be terribly vulnerable. Yet Dharma teachings, not unlike others, Dharma teachings come along and, as it were, without blinking an eyelid, tell us unambiguously, quite straightforwardly, we can know what the truth of things is. We can know it. And to know is to be free. To know is to be enlightened. And when one kind of puts out, posits a line like that, for some it's going to immediately press buttons. Oh my God. Yes, it is one. Something gets expressed. And, understandably, anyone with any intelligence will have some caution about hearing such a statement. We can know 
the way things really are. I said, well, what does that mean? An unusual instrument for knowing that human beings have, of course, is via the, the mind. Think about anything that you, or I say, well, I know. I know what time it is, more or less. I know where I am, more or less. I, uh, I know about this, I know about that, I know about today, I know about tomorrow, a little bit, I know about yesterday, etc. So I know a little bit about things. I know the fun- a little bit about the function of things. I know a little bit about memory and what is learned. I know a little bit um, about the probabilities of tomorrow, if there's tomorrow, etc. And in all of that, there's a certain knowing, and that knowing comes through the mind, it comes through feelings, it comes through thoughts, it comes through personality uh, structure. Sometimes there's some accuracy to it, and sometimes there isn't. Sometimes we kind of... um, raise our voice to kind of convince ourselves we know. It's a common human characteristic. It's going on all over the country at the moment. And for those of you who are lucky enough to live in another country, there's a general election taking place there. And so sometimes to kind of confirm that we know, we'll increase the tempo of the language. We'll yell, we'll shout, we'll keep going on and on. And as one Buddhist monk once commented um, in some disagreement with another one, I remember some tw- t- uh, 10 or 20 years ago, he said to the other monk, if you go on and on like this and don't stop, he said, uh, in the end, I'll just I'll believe you, just to get some peace and quiet. So sometimes there is this raising of the voice, more and more words, and therefore the effort being made to convince ourselves and perhaps to convince others because we want to have the feeling that we know. Coming through the mind, manifesting in the world. But it's a peculiarity, as was pointed out earlier today, it's a peculiarity in all of this, that our mind can create tremendous ideas about the way things are, have tremendous conviction, how come it seems terribly hard to get others to agree? How come that when we ha- our mind has created such conviction that what we find is that there are those who say uh, yes, 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 and and, uh, and agree and, and sit, sit in. And there are those who say, no, no, no. And there are those who say, don't know, don't know, don't know. And those who say, well, sometimes I know and sometimes I don't know. So you get the yes, you get the no, you get both, and you get neither. And I say, gosh, all human beings, in the movement of them, what the mind creates, keeps ending up in a position of saying yes to this, or a position of saying no, or a position of saying, well, both yes and no. 
one aspect of that extraordinary capacity of human beings to, to generate, to create, to express, to manifest, is surely there has to be enough awareness of the movement of that mind to know its movement and to see the consequences. To have some sense of what we do, whatever it might be in this world, that comes out of us, springs from us, actually its manifestation. Knowing that movement from the inner to the outer is called self-knowledge. Self-knowledge is ongoing, goes on to the last breath is squeezed out of one's body. And if we don't have that, then we can live in the paradoxes and sometimes the torture of being creative and being obsessive, being generous and being selfish, being kind and being violent. Anybody who's been in visited prisoners when I used to go to see the lifers in prison. It wasn't unusual to see lovely pictures of their partner, their wife, their kids, their family, friends, their mother and father pasted on the cell of a tremendous love. You couldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't say, they wouldn't say a, a, a negative word. And yet, the same guy has been out with, in one case, a sawn-off shotgun and blown some innocent driver of, um, of a, a, a vehicle away that he's robbing. Same mind, kindness and love and warmth and desperately tears over his missing children and yet the same mind was planning and working with a sawn-off shotgun and taking away somebody else's life and all the tears for that family. Coming out of the same mind. So knowing ourselves, seeing and understanding and exploring and working with what the mind creates and what manifests in this world. Surely, if something is worth believing in, surely it's worth believing in the value and importance of that. In creativity and in the movement and expressions of the mind, whatever it is, we quite often feel and experience the limitations of it. How, how often do we say, whatever we do, I just can't express myself, I just can't get over what I want to say, I just can't get that flow of creativity going, or whatever it might be. And on a number of other occasions, it just, for those who are involved in any form of creativity in one's life, sometimes it just flows. Whatever the area it might be, movement and dance and art, painting and drawing and writing and poetry and all the manifestations of a, of a creative life. So sometimes in the creativity of heart and mind there is a genuine effortless that goes with it. And 
Sometimes it requires effort. And sometimes people sitting in a meditation cushion, sitting on a retreat, will say to themselves, oh, I really need to find greater outlets for my creativity. It's a common thought, sitting on the cushion. I really should get this creative, whatever it is, flowing and, and going. But then a person so easily waits around to the end of their life, waiting for the inspiration to come. And one has grabbed and identified with a word called inspiration. And in that, waiting for that inspiration, it's like Beckett said, waiting for Goddard. You wait and you wait and you wait. Because one is relying on effortlessness and is neglecting effort. I'm sure Picasso didn't like getting up early every morning going into the studio and getting out the easel and paints and doing his name. I'm sure anybody who does any creativity knows what the mind has to go to to keep the flow of it going. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge to the mind. And one has to be clear, as I said, about what the intentions are, what the outflow is, what the relationship to is. And all of that, in such situations as here, in terms of the art of creativity, never to underestimate nor forget the tremendous resource and support for creativity that this sitting, walking meditation gives. Why? Because it keeps bringing us back to the moment. It makes us question this idea of, I will. I will, which is often born and sprung from a, a moment of determination and when the determination has gone and faded away we completely forget the I will. Constantly making resolutions and my goodness, wait till the new millennium comes. There'll be millions all making resolutions for the new millennium. And that's what they'll do. They'll make resolutions for the new millennium. <laughs> Whether it be the third or the fourth, we're not sure. <laughs> so, the discipline of bringing the attention back, refocusing, being steady, being present, having access to, settling, relaxing, letting the being be more present, begins sometimes moment to moment and sometimes quite significantly allows us to go deeper allows us to go deeper. Deeper what? Deeper into the mind. Deeper into the sense of being. And we might say, perhaps, and hopefully, in that, coupled with self-knowledge, as I just spoke about, coupled with a greater awareness, we begin to see our participation in the world much more clearly. And perhaps, in going deeper, it may be a belief for some, but perhaps in going deeper, perhaps it opens us up more clearly to the way things are. And one gets a sense of that, but the sense of that, and the knowing and the understanding of that, is, via the mind, quite indescribable.
it's almost offensive to put, in, in terms of the knowing of the way things are, to put it into language. It's not via the mind of language, via the mind of words, or not just via the mind of certain feelings, but in going in deeper with a receptivity there is that tremendous potential to know the way things truly are, but one doesn't wish to corrupt it by putting it into language. But the, 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 the intonation of it, the statement of it, is it's both simultaneously enlightening and liberating. And one doesn't enter into conflict with religion, or with philosophers, or scientists, or um, economists, or whoever who thinks they know the way things really are. Because their view is shaped and it's formed by their priorities, by the values, by their legitimate view born of the mind's priorities. But knowing the way things are is free from the priorities. No priorities in the true nature of things. Even our eyes and ears should be confirming that to us. So our, our meditations are finally a contribution towards, of course, greater awareness, seeing the flow of expression and creative expression in our day-to-day uh, -day life. That awareness running uh, deeper with our being, and beginning to open up our consciousness in such a way it's both enlightening and freeing. And this we keep pointing to again and again. I remember talking of creativity, finally. Dear uh, friend of mine, who's uh, a monk in the uh, forest with uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa for uh, quite a few years, and he had some sheets of uh, rice paper. And in his hut in the forest, he was meditating um, hours every day. And just sitting there one day in uh, meditation, it came to him to do a drawing and he had no idea what would flow out. And what flowed out was the various kind of sitting postures that Ajahn Buddhadasa uh, took. And he just went, for the page, A4 paper, rice paper, another one. A whole series of them, must have been 20 or 30 of them. And I, he, he showed them to me, and I thought they were just beautiful and brilliant and simply and exquisitely captured the very manner and posture and the form of uh, the teacher for whom we had much uh, love and affection. And in the capturing of all of that, asking, where did they come from? Where did that come from? And 
He didn't have a word for it. He couldn't explain what it was that had happened in which something just revealed itself. And he couldn't say, well, I chose and I decided and it has come from me. It seemed to conceited for the I to claim that. And whenever we hear people who are, so shall we say, artistic, talking about, well, I, 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 we can naturally feel a little bit uncomfortable with this repetition of the I. There's something in us that says, doesn't seem genuine when a person's making lots of conceited claims about what he or she has done and created. So seems to flower from a not eye. Sometimes the eye will get in through the back door. It will say, well, it's not I, but it's coming through me. So the I and the me is in there, and one says, well, it's coming from something higher or greater, but it's coming through me, not through you. <laughs> no, no, it's coming through me. <laughs> <laughs> so the I wants to be in on the act, have a claim over. But in the depth of awareness, and in the depth of being, things just happen. And we are humbled that the most authentic and profound things of life, in a way, happen, which is not of I. And that the I is a kind of after event. After the event, we say, I did this. The I had risen in the event, I am doing this, or I am doing this, it would inhibit, it would block the flow. So this I is just, is mischievous. It makes claims of all sorts of things where it has no right to claim. So awareness and depth and creativity is not of I. Not not of I. And the acknowledgement and the recognition and the appreciation of that is the key to an enlightened life. Key to extraordinary revelation. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with insight. May all beings live a free and creative life. So let's have a couple of silent minutes together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.